Welcome to In Your Right Mind, a weekly discussion of behavioral health issues that affect our lives. We all have issues, so let's start talking. My name is Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. And I'm Dr. Tonmoy Sharma. This evening, we're talking about a divisive but incredibly important topic that a lot of us have strong feelings about, mass shootings. A mass shooting is an incident involving gun violence that injures four or more people. Well, according to the Gun Violence Archive, there were 346 mass shooting incidents in 2017. This was down 10% from 384 in 2016. This is topical because of the recent shootings that have happened. There have been a lot of ideas about the causes for mass shooting, like what happened in Parkland, Florida a few weeks ago. Well, we want to focus on one thing in in particular with this topic, the effects of mental health and psychological disorders on mass shooting. And to discuss this topic today, we have Dr. Frank McAndrew, an American social psychologist and the Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. At Knox, he founded the Environmental Studies Program and chaired the psychology department for a decade. McAndrew is an elected fellow of numerous professional organizations, including the Association for Psychological Science. Well, welcome, Dr. McAndrew. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm thank honored you. to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us this evening. Can you identify the three most common psychological profiles of mass shooters? Well, number one, young, number two, male, mm-hmm. and number three, a male uh, that doesn't command the respect of his peers. What role does emotional regulation play in any of this? Well, certainly uh, the entire thing is driven by emotion. The, uh, the man is feeling resentment. He's feeling disenfranchised. He's feeling angry. And certainly a mass shooting is a, the ultimate in a lack of emotional regulation. Are there any warning signs? Certainly the man's circumstances. Um, you don't usually see, if we're talking about a high school, it's not the captain of the football team or the president of the student council who goes out and does this. It's always the guy who is kind of on the fringes, usually doesn't have a girlfriend, usually has been picked on and ostracized by other students. So anybody in that category, I think, would be at risk. Now, certainly lots of people are in that category and they don't pick up a gun and go out and commit mass murder. So, yes, you can look for the the warning signs that we keep seeing over and over again. Previously, uh, in other shootings, people talk about this ahead of time, talk about how someday they're going to make people pay, they're going to show them. Uh, A fascination with weapons, of course, is a red flag. What's the difference between the outliers or people who've been ostracized and this happens in schools, you know, fairly frequently? What Mm. then tips them over to commit uh, something like this? Well, it's probably a different trigger for each person, but in most cases, there has been some event, like in Parkland, the guy had been expelled from school, um, you know, sort of the ultimate banishing from the group, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if you look at um, the Las Vegas shooter, he was an older guy, and that makes him an exception, Mm -hmm. uh, which makes him interesting. But uh, he had just suffered severe financial setbacks, was deeply in debt from gambling, and was pretty much about to lose everything he had. So again, there's this precarious uh, status that's about, you know, any respect you had is about to slip away. Again, going back to the Las Vegas shooting, this is a man who planned everything meticulously, it looks like, unlike most other shooters. And he had a girlfriend, too. Yep. And most of them do, in fact, um, plan it well in advance. Okay. Because... 
they wanted to be successful. They want people to know who they are. And some of the ones that they've caught uh, and prevented this from happening actually uh, were talking about the plans they were making to outdo the previous ones that they'd already seen. So uh, I think most of these are not cases where somebody just grabs their automatic weapon and runs down to the school and starts shooting uh, blindly. They've thought about it and they've planned it out. It's, it's very right. rational. I have a question regarding what we were just talking about, about sort of the profile of the person and them being maybe like an outcast. But what do you think came first, sort of a chicken or the egg thing? I mean, was the person already sort of a depressive, angry person and it repelled friends or girlfriends? Or is it, you know, they're, they could have been perfectly fine, but they're a social outcast. So is there any way to determine that? Um, I don't think so. But I, I mean, I think it's the circumstances more than the character. Whatever it is that made you an outcast, it's the fact of being an outcast that sets the stage for the trouble. There are uh, certainly lots of people who are depressed and anxious, and they don't go around killing people. Right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. And we're talking about the psychological profiles of mass shooters with Dr. Frank McAndrew. You know, I read this thing that went around on Facebook by a teacher that was telling people, you know, that the, the answer to this is for all kids in school to like reach out to somebody who's sort of a loner or an outcast and invite them over to eat lunch with you at your table. And that's going to stop a lot of this. And that feels false to me because I, I feel like then we're blaming. So the kids for rejecting one of their peers so were causing that person to be, you know, to possibly commit a violent act. But I mean, is that really a valid thing that we should tell all kids, like, don't reject anyone? Because what if that person feels dangerous to their friends and that's why they yeah. don't hang out with them? Yeah, it's totally unrealistic. Well, it because... was also on Facebook, so it must be true. So it's gospel, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Seriously? But yes, I mean, you, you know, you can't tell a bunch of 15-year-old kids they've got to hang out with people that they don't want to be seen with, that they don't like. I mean, you know, we, how would you respond to people telling you you had to socialize with people that you couldn't stand being around. When you're talking about high school kids where their social status and popularity is extremely important and they're very sensitive to that, they, they exist for that reason. It's a non-starter, I think, to tell kids to behave that way. It lo looks like this is an, you know, it's an angry person. What percentage of people in these mass shootings have got any mental, diagnosable mental illness? I couldn't give you a percentage on that. I would say that most are not mentally ill, at least not in the way that we think of it. Right. Um, I'm not, but certainly some of them are. But I don't think the mental health issue right. is the thing that causes the murder. There are plenty of women suffering right. from mental health issues. Yes. There are plenty of older men suffering mm -hmm. from mental health issues, but they don't go out, mm. the Las Vegas shooter notwithstanding. Mm -hmm. um, they do not go out and do this. It's always young men. Right. And so it's something other than mm -hmm. mental illness. So I was thinking even for suicides, if you look at mm -hmm. suicides in men, they're usually much more violent and, and usually guns are, are used. And with women, it's kind of poison and things like that or overdoses. That's how, you know, women eloquently do things. So, yeah, it's more passive. You right. know, there's a chance of being right. rescued. Right. And so my point is, it's the gender thing is there, whether it's violence towards other people or to oneself. That it's, Correct. It's, it's, it's a male kind of phenomena. 
and then mostly young adults. And then does the Las, Las Vegas shooter being an outlier, does that tell us anything in terms of where are these? Sometimes we learn from these exceptions to the rule. Well, uh, the only way in which he's an outlier is the fact that he was older. Right. And uh, the fact that he is interesting to us because of his age shows you how evenly the rule applies. Um, right. Oh, an older guy. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because people were shocked by it, because it always is a young man. So I think the exception proves the rule as the old cliche goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, so, um, so, yeah, right. I don't think that we learned anything about mass shootings in particular from him. Right, right. And so, and he also had a relationship, and his, uh, maybe it was a function of age of some sort. Well, yeah, and if I recall, his relationship was on the rocks as well. Oh, okay. In other words, things were just going bad for the guy. Right, and, right. and yeah. But do we think mental illness played a part in, in his well, there wasn't Rampage. really any indication that was no he indication was mentally right. ill. Right. I right. mean, everybody that knew him seemed right. to think he... So, if we turn to personality, is there any evidence of any disorders of personality in people who do these mass shootings? There's no consistent personality trait. Certainly, there, there's this sense of rage, a need for respect, uh, a, a drive for vengeance, but that seems to be driven more by the person's circumstances than by any sort of inherent personality trait that that individual has. But so, yes, you would think that certainly somebody who is quick-tempered is going to be more apt to do this than yeah. someone who is not. Because you're, you're, it, it looks like from the description that you have given and, and from the evidence that is out there, that these are people that are more withdrawn um, than then say being classified as as a psychopath because the psychopath would be much more outgoing be able to get along hide things whereas these are people that are outliers in a way and and then they they will uh, and and they, yes. they reach a, um, a, 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 a they reach some kind of boiling point or uh, the, uh, think of the difference this way the psychopath is much more likely to be your serial killer Yes. Who stalks victims one at a time, right. uh, gets pleasure out of the act of killing itself, right. uh, tries to escape, uh, has fun taunting the authorities, uh, and it's a cat and mouse game. Mm-hmm. And the joy for this person is in the manipulation of other people mm-hmm. and the pleasure that he gets from fooling people. Right. Uh, the mass shooter is a whole different kind of animal. The mass shooter wants recognition. There's no attempt to hide who he is. He goes in there wanting to make a name for himself. Mm -hmm. And it's not that they usually even have any particular grudge against the individuals they're killing. They just want to show that they are a person to be reckoned with. And they want everybody to know their name. We need to go to a break, but when we come back, we'll discuss how press coverage and masculinity play into mass shootings. Uh, with Dr. Frank McAndrew and Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. We will be right back. Are you or a loved one struggling with an addiction as well as a mental health condition? At Sovereign Health, our clinicians target and treat substance use disorders and a variety of mental illnesses concurrently. We provide evidence-based dual diagnosis treatment services for adults and adolescents based on a clinician's customized rehabilitation plan. Call Sovereign Health's dual diagnosis program at 866 325 1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. 
Are you concerned that your teen is showing signs of overeating or undereating? At Sovereign Health's Rancho San Diego Adolescent Facility, our clinicians provide thorough assessments and holistic evidence-based treatments for teenage girls who have eating disorders and co-occurring depression, substance abuse, and other mental health issues. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801 or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Nearly half of all Americans experience one mental illness at some point in their lives. Sovereign Health offers treatment programs for a large spectrum of issues including depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and eating disorders. Call Sovereign Health's dual diagnosis program at 866-325-1801. That's 866 866- 325-1801 or visit us online at sovhealth.com. We're back within your right mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. I'm Stephanie Wilder Taylor. We've been discussing mass shootings and how psychological profiles factor into a shooter's motivation and organization. We're we're discussing this with Dr. Frank McAndrew, an American social psychologist and the Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College. Now, if we turn our attention to an important aspect of these topics that don't get talked about in relation to mass shootings, masculinity and the press, terms like precarious manhood uh, are bandied around. Any any comments? Yes. I mean, uh, precarious manhood is a, a term that psychologists have uh, developed to describe the situation that men seem to face um, uniquely. It's not something that when I talk to students in my classes about this, the women kind of have puzzled looks on their faces. But in a nutshell, the way to think about it is a man's status is something that continually has to be earned. It's not something that you get and then you've got it. Um, you have to keep meeting challenges. And this goes back to our prehistoric days where um, men competed ferociously with each other for status within their group because it was only the high-status men that had access to women. Uh, from what we can tell in most early human societies, the high-status men sort of hogged up all the women, and then you had these desperate outlier guys uh, who were not very successful in the competition. And in those days, you couldn't just kind of pack up and move somewhere else. Um, you were stuck with this group for the rest of your life. And one of the reasons young men are so predisposed to this is it was early in life where you sorted out the pecking order. That competition in the teen years and early 20 years set your status for life. If you were a loser at 18, you weren't going to rise to prominence at 40. And so there was this quest for dominance, respect, recognition, because that was the thing, uh, that was the ticket to social success. And um, guys who weren't good at that, the ju- they just got outcompeted genetically. And so for men, this need for um, recognition became a driving force. And the achievement of it becomes a very satisfying, uh, you get a testosterone rush from it. If, so if men feel forced to act more stereotypically in a manner of being male, men, do they rely on the media's interpretation of what a man is? That seems to be where we get a lot of our interpretations of of gender. Well, I don't think men have to learn that um, having the uh, respect and esteem of others matters. That is kind of just stamped into their DNA. Now, your particular culture determines what it is, perhaps, that um, gives you status. But um, the idea that the guy doesn't have to learn, oh, I'm supposed to want status, it's there. Mm-hmm. 
I, so I, whether it's physical strength, whether it's money, whatever it might be. Right. Does this play into men who say, you know, don't do as well with women? And uh, the one that comes to mind is the Elliot Roger, the um, Isla Vista killer. Yeah. He was doing making, he was part of that, the pickup artist thing. And he was making all these videos about how he doesn't get the respect of women and why can't he get women. And that was a big part of his thing, which fits kind of right into what you're talking about. So would he be one yeah, of those precarious uh, manhood people? Yeah, and and his manifesto, he said things like he hates, hates, hates sexually active men who are nothing more than obnoxious brutes that women inexplicably throw themselves at. Mm. And he has, and he even used the term, you will see that I am the true alpha male, I'll be a god. And he talked about the experience he had when he got his first handgun and went to his room and just kind of felt so powerful. And he uh, even said, who's the alpha male now? Mm-hmm. You know, you, and um, yeah, he spent a lot of time and money trying to impress people. He drove fancy cars. He wore expensive clothing. And, you know, in some ways it was curious. He wasn't a bad looking guy and he had money. So you might have expected him to be a little more successful in the mating marketplace. Right. But um, like you all I can be, think of yeah. You need to be able to relate to people if you're going to be, if you're going to yeah, be successful yeah. I mean, in relationships. I, I think the women that he uh, encountered, their creep detectors were working pretty well. Right. And uh, they right. could sense that there was something a little bit off there. This is what I'm talking about when, when you know, uh, that the thing that went around on, on Facebook, you know, where people, you can get a sixth sense about somebody, you know, just because they seem normal or, you know, are good looking or whatever, people sometimes reject people based on the fact that they're creepy. So that guy was getting rejected. So I just, I hate the notion that like, well, maybe if women had been nicer to a guy like Elliot Roger, then he wouldn't have gone and shot everybody up. Well, it's not up to women to be nice. I I want... If you're just tuning in, you're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma, and we are discussing how masculinity and the press have affected the mentality of mass shooters in America. Dr. McKendra, I want to go back to this thing about the men or the man already knowing what their place is and and the fact that they have to be aggressive. There are a number of matriarchal societies in the world. I wonder whether there is any research to show whether men in these matriarchal societies are any different. Uh, Name one. Well, there are several in different parts of India, for example. Okay, and by matriarchal, what what do you mean by that? It means that you marry and you go and you normally in a patriarchal society, you would go and live in your husband's house and you would take your husband's name. Here they would take the wife's name and live in the wife's house. And uh, in these societies, are the women the ones in the position of power and in terms of that is business and yes. politics? Yes. And, yes. And, and then what do the men do? Men, they're men, not... men, men work and do the same things, except that they are women, the women have a very different like uh, bees. role. Right. Yeah, well... Worker, the yeah. worker bees. Yeah, they, they go and do their work. They, they, it's not like they are you know, house husbands or, or homemakers. They, they do their work as well. It's just that the man or the male as the head of the family or as the person who is out in front is not there. There may not so be any research. I'm are just you thinking, asking if it's a part of our culture, if our culture ca- causes this in some way because well, the, there's the, such a high expectation of men? No, but that's the culture around the world. They are, you know, it's been that kind of 
society so that that there is that you have the expectations of of males that are delineated fairly early on but let uh-huh. I guess what I'm suggesting, though, is the, the uh, status that the man monitors is his status relative to other men. Mm-hmm. It's not whether men have higher or lower status than women. Okay. It's how am I doing compared to other men. To other men. Okay. So h- how does this tie into the, the young male syndrome? Well, uh, getting back to uh, what we were saying before about our prehistoric roots where your status in the group was set pretty early on. Mm-hmm when you were a young man, uh-huh. one of the things that's going on there is you've got to put it all out there. And that's one of the reasons young men uh, have evolved to be full of testosterone in a way that older men and women are not, mm-hmm. because the testosterone is preparing men for that competition. And to display uh, risk-taking abilities and recklessness is something that um, is a way of advertising, if you can do these crazy things and survive them, you're showing some pretty good genes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something called the crazy bastard hypothesis, mm-hmm. where um, it doesn't seem to make much sense that men behave in this reckless, foolish way. But think about it. At crunch time, if you're going into battle, do you want to have that crazy bastard as an ally or as an enemy? Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Yeah, you want certainly. him on your side. Oh, certainly as an, as an ally. So, yeah. Have there been, and, uh, I, sorry, go are, ahead, go ahead. Are you familiar with the Darwin Awards, the thing that it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, award that's given every year to individuals who've lost their lives in a dramatic fashion during the previous year uh-huh. by doing something really stupid? Uh-huh. I tallied up um, the Darwin winners for the five-year period from 2010 to 2014, mm-hmm. and um, of the 43 people who were given Darwin Awards, 38 of them were men. And of the five women, two of them only got on the list because they got talked into having sex with men under very, under less than rational circumstances, let's put it that way. And so um, the young male syndrome is all about guys being driven uh, to engage in risky and violent behavior mm-hmm. as a way of showing that they're not to be messed with. And, and dom- dominance, I guess. But this there... doesn't seem to correlate with the, what with the... Men that are, you know, social outcasts. I picture, you know, the the boys before they go on these kind of shooting sprees, sitting in their basement, you know, just playing video games. Yes, that's right, and that's that's exactly the point. They are not usually the uh, athletic, risk-taking um, alpha males. Right. They're, they're okay. quite the opposite. Yeah, and that's why they've been they're losing out in the competition, and that that eats at them. I mean, it, it's a debilitating kind of thing. Have any mass shootings been carried out by women? None that I'm aware of. Uh, there was the a shooting in San Bernardino a few years ago where there was a married couple. Right, who did I it. remember. And uh, just like the older guy in Las Vegas, that was very interesting to those of us who study this sort of thing because a woman was involved. And it is so rare. But if you look at the statistics about homicides, it's just incredible how lopsided it is. Um, 85% of all homicides are committed by men. But if you look at um, homicides between same-sex individuals when the victim and the killer don't know each other, 97% of them are committed by men. Interesting. You know, we need to take another break, but when we come back, we're going to discuss the perceptions of mental health in mass shootings. Uh, We're talking to Dr. Frank McAndrew. 
And you're listening to In Your Right Mind with me, Stephanie Wilder-Taylor, and Dr. Tanway Sharma. We'll be right back. Are you tired of struggling with addiction? Sovereign Health's Prime program aims to help men over 40 transition from chemical dependency to a state of lasting recovery in an environment suited to their age and specific needs. Let us help you get your life back on track. It's never too late. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Are you or a loved one experiencing bouts of emotional overeating or undereating? These can be symptoms of an eating disorder. At Sovereign Health, we believe that these brain diseases that strain people's lives should not define them. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Find a better way to live a better life at Sovereign Health. Nearly half of all Americans experience at least one mental illness at some point in their lives. Sovereign Health offers a residential treatment program for a large spectrum of issues including depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, post-traumatic stress disorder, and eating disorders. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. We're back within your right mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. I'm Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. We've been discussing the psychology of mass shooters with Dr. Frank McAndrew, an American social psychologist and the Cornelia Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois. Let's move forward and talk about how this connects to media coverage and the press. The shootings have got more and more media attention since the event at Columbine in over 10 years ago now. And the media seems to be a driving factor. Is the media a driving factor for some of these mass shooters? Um, yes, I think it absolutely has uh, facilitated the phenomenon. It's not the only thing involved. We can talk about guns and all kinds of other things. Sure. But the ultimate recognition is if the entire world knows who you are, everybody knows your name, and everybody knows uh, that you did something that was worthy of attention. And the 24-7 news cycle that we have um, feeds right into that. And I do think there's some logic in not publicizing who the shooter is. But at the same time, I understand the public wants to know this, and the news media is sort of giving people what they want. Yeah, want yeah. Um, but I think another way that media is involved is uh, the rise of social media. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem with things like Facebook and all of the other social media platforms that people spend a lot of time on is they expose you to so many other people. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it's just a lot easier to feel like a loser in the 21st century mm-hmm. because you can go online and see dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds of people your age who seem to have more exciting, interesting, successful lives than you have. Whereas uh, in our tribal days, okay, there might have only been eight or ten guys around your age, and so there were only two or three people that you walked around being envious of all the time. Now you find yourself being envious of more and more people. Our brains get tricked. We didn't evolve in a world where there were all these people we didn't know personally. Mm-hmm. We just and did so, a show about this. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, so interesting yeah. what's happening on, on with our this, culture. On, on the yeah, so side. there's a mismatch between what our brains are prepared yeah. to process and what they're actually presented with. Whoa. And I think this has all kinds of negative consequences. It, it, first of all, it makes you feel like a loser, but then the payoff 
for becoming famous is even bigger because so many more people know who you are. Well, maybe we should teach them how to sing and get them on American Idol. Everybody will know Well, uh, you know, that, that would work, but yeah. uh, somehow it's easier to learn how to shoot a gun than to sing well. So I'm curious about this type of person who's, you know, rejected, angry, uh, wants revenge. Are there signs from the person at an earlier age, or does this just happen? You know, I guess what I'm asking is, is it something that crops up because, okay, they're in high school and now they're being rejected by their peers and they suddenly get angry and do this? Or can we see signs of this in, in boys as young as, like, you know, there are boys that are seven, eight years old that are already showing, you know, short tempers and anger and oh, sure. aggression? Yep. Yeah, my wife was a kindergarten teacher for a very long time, and she would always come home and point out who the future people that we're going to have to worry about were, uh, even though they were only five or six years old at the time. Right. Um, but yes, uh, but again, most of those people don't end up becoming mass shooters. Now, they may regularly have trouble with the law and commit crimes yeah. and all those other psychopaths. things, but this dramatic statement of going out there and knowing that you're going to die in the process, I mean, make no mistake about it, very few of these, the Parkland guy was interesting in that he tried to get away. Most of the time they go in there knowing that this is going to end with their death, but it's going to be a really dramatic, glorified event that everybody will be talking about. Mm -hmm. I think uh, people who grow up constantly being reminded of their uh, outsider status, eventually that can take its toll. I think it can be cumulative. So somebody who had a reasonably uh, popular existence and a lot of friends and was well-adjusted, when they hit high school, if they have a rough patch, I think they're less likely to go off the deep end than somebody where this becomes the straw that breaks the camel's back. Okay, I've had enough. So in terms of personality, the so-called T-type personality... Uh, you mean thrill seekers? Yeah, thrill seekers. Is there a relationship? I I would let me think about that one for a second. I uh, I think they're different things. Right. The person who's the thrill seeker is does uh, risky things for the adrenaline rush. Okay. Bungee jumping, skydiving, right. things where you put your life on the line, and when you survive it, there's this wow kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. It's not really a violent. Mm. impulse. Mm. I think this mass shooter thing, these are not guys, again, let's go back to the serial killers. They're more likely to be the thrill seekers, mm -hmm. stalking a victim, knowing the police are after you. Mm -hmm. That is an adrenaline rush. And you might find thrill seekers more likely to be doing that. The mass shooter is making a statement. And I don't think it's being driven by, wow, I'm going to get an adrenaline rush from this. Right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. We're discussing mental health and its connection with mass shootings with Dr. Frank McAndrew. So if, if it's not mental illness, it's still some sort of mental issue, is it not? I mean, that well, the, the type of a behavioral issue for sure. Sure. But so are we, are these kind of ki are these kind of I mean I say kids but young men I mean I it's I feel lost that we don't have warning signs other than I mean because lots of kids are you know on the outside of their social circle or sitting at lunch alone and obviously most of them are not going to go shoot up their school. But that's that's exactly the problem. You've hit it right on the head. Because you can go to any high school in this country and ask people, um, do you have anybody in your class that is kind of odd and is a loner and maybe likes, you know, talks about guns and things? And 
in every one of these high schools, they're going to be able to give you six names right off the top of their head of um, guys that match that profile. And you're absolutely right. Most of them are never going to act out on that. How do you know which one? That's the million-dollar question. And I... I'd be collecting my Nobel Prize if I had the answer to that, I think. So but. one of the distinct features is a geographical one, that we don't see this in other parts of the world. That's correct. So does the access to guns play a part? Yep, it sure does. Well, you know I'm happy you brought that uh, up. Okay, yeah, okay. let's talk All about right. that. All right. Sure. Well, um, okay, I, I've actually done some research on the effect of handling a gun on men. And one of the things it does is gives them a testosterone rush. It's just fun to shoot a, a gun. It's exhilarating. And the bigger and more powerful the gun is, the more powerful you feel, the more exhilarating it is. I've, got, I've shot guns like, uh, I, you know, I took a marksmanship course and all that. And it's, it's fun. I, I'm the first to admit it. But there's no reason people should have access to weapons that are only designed to kill a lot of people in a very short time. We don't let people drive tanks around in the street. We don't let people keep nuclear devices in their basements. And for good reason. Um, I'm not anti-gun. Uh, I grew up in a hunting area. Um, I've got friends and relatives that have lots of guns. And uh, the having a handgun for personal protection or just target shooting, having rifles for hunting, I have no problem with that. But it's just insane that we let anybody pretty much get these military-grade weapons. Well, and we, we know why. We all know why that is. But if you look at, say, Canada, a country like Canada, you know, they have a lot of guns in Canada. It's a gu There's gun culture there. But they have yep. a lot more regulation. There's a lot of laws about locking up your guns and training for guns. And you can't just you can't just walk into your neighbor's house and open their nightside drawer and pull out, you know, a semi-automatic weapon. No, that's right. And you hear people say that, you know, guns don't kill people. People kill people. But people with guns kill a lot more people than people without guns. And people with automatic weapons kill a lot more people. And uh, Yeah. And so, um, but yes, it's a political issue. And uh, Tom Roy, you're absolutely right. It, it is something that happens here that doesn't happen in other places. And are we more mentally ill than other places? I don't think so. Are young men disenfranchised any more here than they are anywhere else? I don't think so. Yeah, I agree uh, with you. So you go down the list until you find the one thing that makes us different. So money in terms of wanting, needing to, it's an industry that it's like the pharmaceutical industry wanted to sell opioids. And then even they got the regulators to make pain the fifth vital sign uh, and are being sued for it. So the same way you have an industry here that needs to make money and then uh, it, they interpret the constitution accordingly. And so things are different. And I'm not saying this is good or bad. All I'm stating is that this is why it's, it is there, I guess. Well, and another part of our culture that I think is a little uh, I won't say different than other places, but more the, the most extreme of individualist societies, we put a real premium on competition and success. Right. And if you get to the top, you expect all kinds of recognition and accolades. And if you feel, if, if you lose out and, uh, you, you know, people put that on you, mm -hmm. uh, you should be able to rise above your circumstances. So I think the culture that we live in sets the stage for uh, making males hyper-competitive 
and that sets the stage for them feeling really bad mm. about being less than successful in whatever your local... No, and it's a lethal combination, the expectation of needing to be at the top and being seen as very successful and you know being seen to leave a legacy and then having fairly... It's as easy to buy a gun as it is to do grocery shopping. Oh, it, I, um, it's much tougher to adopt a dog. <laughs> right, is, yeah, because we have actual... buy a semi-automatic <laughs> weapon. It's much tougher. Because it's very strictly regulated. We need to take one more break. Uh, when we come back, we'll finish our discussion on the psychology of mass shooters with, and uh, maybe we can come up with some ideas of how to change this narrative and curb the rise of these situations. We're talking with Dr. Frank McAndrew and uh, Dr. Tom Moy Sharma, of course. I'm Stephanie Wilder-Taylor. We'll be right back. Are you tired of struggling with addiction? Sovereign Health's Power Program utilizes evidence-based interventions tailored to women over 40 to help them develop tools necessary for lasting recovery. Power specializes in treating substance abuse disorders and other underlying mental health issues, including trauma, anxiety, and depression. Recover with power. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. At Sovereign Health, we understand that the Christian faith is an integral part of recovery. If you're suffering from an addiction or mental illness, let us help you heal with others who share your beliefs and values. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. Or visit us online at sovhealth.com. Start your new life today. Sovereign Health's Adolescent Program offers treatment for males and females ages 12 to 17 struggling with addiction, mental health, and co-occurring conditions. Let us help you and your family heal in a safe, nurturing environment with an individualized treatment plan that has your loved one's treatment needs in mind. Call Sovereign Health today at 866-325-1801. That's 866-325-1801. 1801 or visit us online at sovhealth.com. We're back with In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanmoy Sharma. I'm Stephanie Wilder Taylor, and we've been discussing how the psychological aspects of mental health have affected the amount of mass shooters in America with Dr. Frank McAndrew, an American social psychologist and the Cornelia H. Dudley Professor of Psychology at Knox College. Dr. McAndrew, if we talk briefly about the mental well-being of such people, you've said that there is most of the people that uh, are responsible for mass shootings do not have any diagnosable mental health issues. They've got, or mental illness rather, but they have issues of self-esteem and needing to show that they are worthy as such. Can the media do something in terms of the it's almost as if you glorify the person. You know, you become infamous, that is true, but uh, are they achieving what they wanted to achieve anyway? Yeah, and the media is in a tough spot because their job is to cover news. And when something like this happens, it's news. And if you don't cover it, your competition is going to. Yes. And then nobody's going to watch your station because you're not covering everything that they want to see. But that does absolutely feed into the problem. And the thing about mass shootings that I think is so perverse is it it gives you such an easy way to keep score. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I killed more people than that last mass shooter did. 
that means I'm better or more important or more, you know, I'm, it's quantifiable. And the media feeds off of that because yes. they always lead with how many wounded, right. how many in critical condition, right. how many dead. There is the element of sensationalism with the media. The issue, however, is, is this kind of futile? We're having a discussion. We know that this thing called mass shootings is there. We've characterized the type of person. But do we now say we wait till the next one and then we have we can't do anything about it? Is there any chance of prevention? Or there's well, no certainly, such, so. I'm in favor of all of the things that so many people talk about. Uh, I have been sort of making a big deal out of the fact that I don't think mental illness is the driving force. Right. Having said that, I'm a psychologist and I'm all in favor of more support for mental health, uh, better treatment, better prevention. Right. And if we find just one or two people before this happens and save them, mm -hmm. it's worth the effort. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think mental health alone, though, is the thing that's going to turn this around and suddenly mass shootings go away because we've got a more comprehensive mental health system. The gun issue is a huge one. Um, if you don't have ready access to these high-powered firearms, certainly men are still going to be violent. There still are going to be murders, but not carnage on the scale that we're seeing now. But I don't see anything happening with that anytime soon. Now that either. we're aware of, of you know some of the signs, do, do you know of any cases where people have flagged somebody that they suspected of plotting a killing? I mean, we know that's happened, that the person's gotten treatment and and talked about their plans and turned things around. Do we, do we know of any examples of this? Well, there have been some recent examples of high school kids who've been caught by parents or friends planning an event like this and stockpiling weapons and... Um, the tragedy was averted because of that, but not enough time has passed to see, you know, what's going to happen with the person 10 years down the road. So um, are you just postponing? You know, you've thwarted them this time, and uh, maybe if they seek... But again, if the problem isn't really mental health, then, you know, having them see a therapist, I'm not sure, is getting to the root of the problem. Part of the problem with mental health as a diagnosis for the, this issue as well is where do you draw the line? Everybody gets depressed sometimes. They become grief-stricken. They become anxious. Uh, does any person who ever has a period in their life like that, do we define them as being mentally ill then? And they're now somebody that needs to be watched. And, you know, it's hard. Right. They're more likely to, to cause harm to themselves than to other people. Sure, even, sure. Even people with schizophrenia, they're more likely to commit suicide than homicide ever. Yeah, and the other thing that uh, we don't pay enough attention to when we talk about this in the media, certainly, is the stigmatizing effect this has on people who do suffer from mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, the way politicians throw the term around to avoid talking about guns mm -hmm. um, makes it sound like, you know, if you're mentally ill, we're going to watch you. You're not going to be able to buy a gun. Mm -hmm. uh, we're... It, as if just by the fact that you're mentally ill, you are now a dangerous person. And right. we know that that absolutely is not the case for the overwhelming majority of mentally ill individuals. Right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to In Your Right Mind with Dr. Tanway Sharma. And we're talking about mental health and its connection with mass shootings with Dr. Frank McAndrew. But it, you can have behavioral issues, as you were saying earlier. So you could take a, a kid, like you said, your wife teaches and sees some of these kids, you know, four or five-year-old kids, boys, 
that are already a little bit have some violent tendencies. I mean, can't we at least flag that and keep really keep an eye on these kids, knowing that we might have to avert a future? Pro I mean, you know, get them get them therapy, get them. I'm not saying that they're mentally ill, that they have schizophrenia, but sure. maybe they have anxiety. May if can these behavioral issues be treated? with attention yes. from a mental health yes. professional. And we do uh, try to intervene and we do try to identify these kids and we do try to get them help. The problem is how many hours of the week are they with the person who's providing help and support for them? Right. Um, and what's going on in the rest of their life? If you're then throwing them back into uh, this peer group that's just toxic for them, if they've got a dysfunctional family, um, you know, all of those other forces are so much more powerful than the you know organized support being provided for these individuals. I'm not saying we should stop trying, but it's, right. it's a it's an uphill battle for sure. You know, I have a question that you just made me think of. So those people, a lot of these people, their profile, the ones that become mass shooters, are the rejected. How many of them are the ones that are actually bullying? From what I can tell, I mean, going through all of the people, the uh, Sandy Hook shooter uh, was this reclusive, fragile kid, Elliot Rogers. Uh, these were not people who, they were the bullied, yeah. not the bulliers Interesting. for the most part. Interesting. Yeah. So because it goes with the personality type as well. You, you now, have a much uh, more In a perverse person. way, you can think of the bullies as being responsible for this because they're the ones creating, so, creating these resentful, low-status individuals right. who then need to strike back. Right. But it's, it's not usually the bully himself yeah. who's going out there with the high-powered weapon right. and yeah. the bully has already sort of established some dominance and control in his life people are afraid of him right. um dr McKendrew, yeah. is there are there any demographic factors for you example mean race and in, so on in, in yes in in terms of white you know for example if you looked at the environmental factors for depression you had you know single single mom three kids under the age of five uh, living in sort of Section 8 type of accommodation. You had these demographic factors for the the non-organic type of depression, if you like. But yeah, and but they, they're kind of all over the map. I mean, okay. Elliot Rogers' father was this influential Hollywood mogul. Okay. Um, the uh, Sandy Hook shooter came from a, a well-to-do family, right. although uh, he just lived with his mother, not his father. Right. And... Um, so it you know it's hard to find that one thing that ties them all together. But what do you the, think? Uh, most of these are white, am I right? They, they, most of them are. Yes, that's right. And I don't know what to make of that, uh, other than um, their sense of what they deserve in life perhaps is greater, and therefore they feel outrage more quickly at being ostracized. And um, in some ways, if you're in a whole different part of society. Well, yeah, it's, it's just hard to, to know. Um, certainly, I'm comfortable saying it's about being male. I don't know how comfortable I am it's, to say it's about being white, but certainly most of the situations, uh, that seems to be the case. They may just be the ones that have better access to high-powered weaponry. That's yeah. interesting. Possibly. That's really That's, interesting. Uh, expensive enough to buy. Well, and another way to think about this, and I'm not implying that uh, minority kids are necessarily in gangs or anything, but one of the functions that gangs serve is it takes people that are on the fringes and gives them a sense of belonging. They become part of a family. They have peers who respect them and look out for them. 
and that leads to all kinds of other uh, undesirable activities, but it may short-circuit this sense of being completely alone and needing to take matters into your own hands. So gangs in white neighborhoods? Well, I mean, yeah. most African-American <laughs> kids are not in gangs. You know, you can't say, I mean, yeah, but, I, I, but which just makes it interesting that you take, you know, a race that has been oppressed over the years, and yet they're not the ones going, exactly I've been right. oppressed, so I'm going to take out a whole school. It's it's an interesting thing that I think de definitely needs warrants more study. Why I, I think you're onto something, though, with the entitlement. Yeah. With the yeah, I mean, it's all about expectations. And if I'm white and male, I expect to be a person of consequence. I expect people to look up to me and respect me. And then when that doesn't happen, the outrage is all the greater. Whereas if historically you're coming from a place where you really don't expect that to happen because in the past that's not the way it's been, then perhaps you're less vulnerable to that. But I will admit, this is pure speculation on my part. I feel like there's another entire hour to be devoted to this topic, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have this week. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Frank McAndrew. Is there anywhere we can find your work? Do you have a, is there a well, website? Well, I have a webpage, frankmcandrew.com, okay. and that will provide links to anything I've got going on and copies of my publications and so on. So Wonderful. that'll be a place to start. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Dr. Sharma. Well, thank you, Stephanie. For, for doing this show. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening tonight. Don't forget to tune in next Sunday at 5 p.m. for an all-new episode of In Your Right Mind. And if you like what you hear, you can download this edition of the show as a podcast on iTunes or go to inyourrightmind.com and hear this show or any previous broadcasts. See you next week. Good night.